Hello and welcome to Setting the Stage, Episode 5, Daryl and Jungle Jingle. Hi, uh, this is Isaac and you're Daryl. Yeah, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Good. To uh, introduce yourself and tell a little bit about who you are outside of D&D. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm Daryl, um, and while I run a weekly group of D&D uh, outside, I'm actually uh, an accountant. I run an accounting uh, department for a... Uh, our towing company and uh and i i run it uh a very um i don't know i i go to church every week and and i fill my stuff my week up with uh you know family and and uh you know and, and other good stuff but uh D is certainly a big part mm-hmm. of what i do yeah yeah that sounds very middle class america <laughs> yeah up here in Canada. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, yeah. middle class, Western middle world, class everywhere, right? Good point. Yeah. 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 That's true. Just doing, just doing the doing, you know, just doing the thing best we can. Uh, where in Canada are you at? Uh, I'm in Ontario. Right. So I'm about uh, three hours from Toronto, which is the city everyone knows. Um, right. Right. So. <laughs> Um, I mean, I can make a day trip there, but uh, I don't live close enough just to go shopping. Right. I'm like that for San Francisco. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right in the heart of uh, tabletop Dungeons and Dragons. Aren't they? Uh, in no, uh, I got it wrong. They're in Seattle. I got my wrong. Estimate. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say they're up in Washington. So, no. Um, I'm sorry. Close to the heart of, uh, I guess, uh, programming. Programming. All right. Yeah, the house I grew up in the area was um, like two or three blocks from Facebook's main campus for a while until they moved somewhere else. But oh, home of Facebook. Yep. Now that that <laughs> place has been bulldozed and is now a bunch of new homes. Uh, we'll see. Um, That's good. Reduce, reuse, recycle, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's home. Not quite. Not sure that quite fits reduced for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you get into Dungeons and Dragons or other role playing games? Um, so I guess technically I played my first game of Dungeons and Dragons when I was in grade ten. Played two sessions and was like, yeah, this thing isn't me. But I don't know. Maybe it was the group. Maybe uh, it was a good bunch of guys. Okay, so, these are you know these were all friends. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, it just wasn't, uh, I wasn't seeing the appeal necessarily. Um, and then uh, many, 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 many years later, uh, you know, like Critical Role is, is it's nearing the end of its first campaign kind of thing. And I hadn't even heard of them yet, but just trying to give you an idea here. Um, yeah. Right. Um, uh, I start listening to. Uh, I listened to a, an interview with Josh uh, Whedon because he's on uh, um, Big Bang and listened to an old one. And apparently he's doing this crazy Acquisitions Incorporated thing, right? And uh, and so I was like, Sounds oh, that's familiar. I don't quite remember that. but uh, Yeah, he was on like a, a Letterman. It was a quick little Letterman thing. And he was doing this Acquisitions Incorporated thing way, way back in the beginning, I guess. Um, and... Um, I, I don't know. I think I only discovered one video with him actually playing, which is interesting. But uh, <laughs> um, then, you know, um, I also some other YouTubers on some video gamers, like like console gaming. 
yeah. right? They started playing, and so I started watching, and, uh, and I was like, this is not what I remember, and could have just been grade 10 me didn't understand the concept of the game as well as maybe I could have, but uh, uh, yeah. I found it very interesting, and so after watching a few live plays, I uh, searched out uh, a place on uh, Meetup, uh, I don't know. I think Meetup is is in the U.S. as well, but uh, um, and found uh, like a local gaming group that uh, rented space in a restaurant uh, once a month. Or yeah. yeah, so Meetup is kind of like Tinder, but for like meeting people for activities besides sex, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, like, and I get it. I, like, I kind of get that. I thought it was strange when I was like, "How do I find?" You know, I Google, "How do I find a D and D group?" Uh, Meetup was one of the options. I was like, that seems strange, but it actually worked. Um, yeah, great. And um, and so I started playing. And actually, after my very first uh, uh, game in person, the game I played, uh, you know, this time I was like, wow, this game is really good. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I there's a lot more I can learn, and I'd like to run this. Like, that was kind of you know my three thoughts cool. right after. Um, and so, uh, I played for a few more months, um, you know, like, uh, they meet once a month, right? So I played like a few more sessions, uh, and then I ran a game for my daughter and my, and my nephews. Um, and, uh, and that went well. I actually, um, listened to some Matt Colville videos. Um, and I, for that first session, I did, uh, Matt Colville's Delarian's Tomb from running the game episode one. Oh, cool. All right. It's nice to have like that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad, um, I'm glad that worked out. And, and all I had was the SRD, right? So so with Matt's video and the SRD and right, you know, and then coming, you know, one of my nephews saying, "Oh, can I play this, uh, you know, UA thing?" I'm like, "Sure. I don't know what UA is, but play it. And we'll figure it out." <laughs> I didn't really care. Uh, I was just wanted the fun with his character. Uh, yeah, I know. Starting without investing money in the hobby is great. Like that's basically what I did because I was using my dad's books and. Uh, a friend's dad's books. So. Right. Like, you know, you um, a, if you don't have a dad that's buying books for you. Yeah. <laughs> then I bought the uh, the essential skit. Right. And that has uh, 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 Dragon of Ice Fire Peak in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and and I started running uh, bits of that for, for my nephews and still kind of playing. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and that, and that got me on a D&D Beyond, uh, which uh, as soon as I got on a D&D Beyond, uh, figuring out how to make a character and how they interact and, and then really kind of seeing uh, the rules, I could almost like seeing various ways to build characters and, and to how the character sheets kind of progress out of that <clears throat> with the math kind of already done uh, made me understand a lot of what I was reading in the rules a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely. Right? It's a very helpful resource. That's yeah. just one of the things it does for for that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't think I could do it without a tool like D and D Beyond. Um, I'm so I'm so integrated. Uh, I just buy. I don't have any physical books. I buy everything digitally. And uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of move um, there. I remember uh, this is probably before you started playing, but um, it used to be that people would come out with like Excel sheets that would do that kind of stuff for you. And they, like you just had to find like character creation Excel sheet, and you know there's all these people are coming up with different ones, so you'd have to find like your own one that you liked, and then maybe modify it a little bit based on your home rules or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, that 
those things existed before like Wizards was making them, but um, I, I imagine were... so. Uh, you know, but uh, uh, I think D and D Beyond was just uh, very accessible for me at the time. Yes, right? definitely. So, and the Essentials Kit kind of came with like uh, get this adventure free on D and D B, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so and then they had like their big um, sale they have once a year where all the books are twenty bucks U.S. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, so I just Got a slew of books, including Player's Handbook, the DMG, Xanathars, and uh, a bunch of others, some things I might want to run. Uh, and I got the Acquisitions Incorporated book because that was one of the live plays I was watching. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, and then, then in 2019, I put a call out on Reddit for looking for players for an online game to meet once a week. And uh, I... Silly me, I had a six questions survey. One of them was confirming that you could play on X day at X time, uh, right? <laughs> you know, so what can I find out from the other five questions? Not really a whole lot. I think the one of the other five was like, you know, uh, what's your Discord handle or some other way I can get a hold of you, right? So right, yeah. um, I didn't ask really any um, great questions. Uh, you know, I just kind of was like, um, uh, some of them, some of the answers were a little open ended, so I got an idea of of of, of what they were like, uh, maybe from that, and I just kind of went by gut feel. Um, I also took a couple of players from um, from the in person group I was meeting with. They also moved online on Discord, so I got a couple of players from from that group, and I kind of knew them a little more. Um, but uh, for the most part, we were all strangers, and uh, it worked out amazingly great. Great. <laughs> Which, when you hear all the horror stories on on r slash RPG horror stories, um, you know what I did is a recipe for for bad things that happen, I guess. But I think what well, it is you just hear yeah. about the bad stuff. You never hear about the good stuff. So yeah, I guess I'm here yeah. to say, like, no, it's it's very possible that you go on, you get some five random people, and it works out amazing. I would say more commonly, you probably have a, a group of five people, and it's just sort of okay. And then like two or three of them are good, and you try again, you add in two more fresh people, and then that usually works out. Yeah, that's more often what I've heard for for groups. But you're you're lucky that it worked out the first time. That's great. Yeah, well, actually, I think we started with six and went down to five in a, less than a month. Yeah, and that's so. probably for the better, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Um. Yeah, so that's how I started running, and and I kind of ran a mismatch of um, of, of Acquisitions Incorporated. There's a little mini campaign in there. I mixed that with Dragons of Icepire Peak uh, and some uh, uh, other one shot material that I found on like Drive Through RPG and uh, in uh-huh. DMs Guild, uh, and some random BS that I made up myself, and. Uh, <laughs> And I somehow amalgamated that into a small one through, I think we went to level eight campaign. Okay. Right. So. Yeah. That's, that's a decent amount. That's a decent amount. Yeah. Right? I don't think most people go that much. So. And that, that took you how many years to go through from one to eight? Uh, two-ish. Okay. That, that seems actually kind of slow to me now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I told them, like, well, so uh, I had heard a lot about Session Zeros. And so this is, of course, before Tasha's, uh, which, I mean, their Session Zero thing is 
not as deep as a lot of YouTube videos you can find out there, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so uh, I uh, I had a I, I knew about a session zero when I first started. I set some expectations. Uh, one of the expectations I set was, um, you know, like I only think this is going to go to set, you know, to level seven, and we're going to have a long time between level ups, right? And that's just yep. it's it's a slow level up system. And uh, and that's kind of just how I plan on doing it. And I think that's actually how we lost the one guy so quickly was uh, he was like, my third session, level one, I'm out of here. Of course, that was the last session of being level one. But, you know, <laughs> you know, he was just like, no, I'm done. And I was like, OK. But at the same time, I was also like new. So I was like, I'm not setting the pace you guys move at. Uh, you know, you guys, you know, like like there's direction, there's plot hooks. Right, you know, but if you spend, you know, like they spent on that very first session, they spent, uh, or session two, session two, they spent 45 real in-game, like real-time minutes uh, deciding what's on the other side of the door before I basically said, you open the door. Here's here's what you see. Uh, <laughs> right, you know, uh, but they had like listened for some things and they had, you know, they had done, they had done some things. It wasn't like they were just sitting there and being like, do we open or not? Uh, they were just trying to find, figure out, try to get as much information they could about what was on the other side of it before they actually went. And uh, uh, and I think as a DM, I'm better now at uh, at kind of um, some laying out some things so we don't have those kind of roadblocks as much anymore, right? Mm. But at the same time, I I said that you know I wasn't going to necessarily push them too too much, right? You know, I want them to have that autonomy to make these decisions and right. I think for a similar thing in, in my group at one point, they were doing that. Almost exactly the same thing where they were discussing about opening a door. Yeah. And then the, the monster on the other side heard them and opened the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, <laughs> there's a limit to how much of that conversation can realistically happen out of character. I guess my problem else. was in this particular case, there was no monsters on this other door. It was a room to which there was a puzzle for them to solve. Oh, uh, okay. Right? And so it's like I had no way to like push them in necessarily i was just kind of like so eventually i was just like you know what i've had enough you, you guys got enough someone's going to open this door or you're going to turn back around so are you turning back around no then you're opening the door and we just kind of moved on <laughs> yeah yeah at some point you need to like just say like i mean it's it's metagaming but you have to be like guys there's nothing there let's just move on like you're having this conversation and it's, it's not fun yeah <laughs> uh but as i said like yeah. um I learned a lot in those first few months. I, I, I mean, as I said, I, I don't know. I guess I had done a few things, uh, and I felt like I was ready. Uh, and then a few more things that I had not been ready for kind of happened, and I learned more, right? So yeah, that's, that's the way it goes. Um, all right. Well, that's good to, to learn about your group. Um, let's turn it back to the, the, your campaign world. Um, so what's the name? And... Uh... Um, maybe a physical description. Um, so let's start with a physical description. It is a, a, a so the name of the campaign is called a Jungle Jingle because I just want to give the idea that like, you know we're we're going to be traveling in the jungle, um, and that is I meant, uh, that, that is name, a lot is that of the name of the campaign or the campaign world. Yeah, that's the name of the campaign, Jungle Jingle. Um, I don't know if I really like. It's just kind of known as the world to the players, right? Uh, so they okay. know that. Um, uh, that they're from, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
sorry, they're from the valley, right? You know, um, and it's like, uh, you know, there, there's a town, the major town is Newport and, and they have like all these little city place names and like little town names. Um, right. You it's know, like Southern California. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. The Valley, you know? Newport. Okay. Yeah, I know those places. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry. I'm not from California, so I didn't make that connection, but I, <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Some of my American players did. Uh, yeah. I've, I've gone on vacation to Newport and you know, the Valley is close by. So <laughs> see. very good. Um, and so I guess I didn't really uh, name it so much. Um, uh, and this kind of comes down to, um, Right, you know, well, so so they're they're in a jungle world, right, and um, and so the the setting really like it's hot, it's steamy, it's raining all the time, right, you know, um, but um, uh, and and if you have ever uh, seen the, um, the 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 campaign Tomb of Annihilation, um, yeah, no, I've, I've uh, played through it. Right, so you've played through it, right, and uh, it's it's bit of a mess of a campaign but as a setting right you know in terms of being able to set in the jungle and, and different things you might come across and, and um you know uh, they got uh, they have a great map uh, that i'm not using uh but it's a great map um yeah. they uh you know um you know you got dinosaurs and, and uh amirages and uh, which i think are just adorable uh flying uh flying monkeys um you know all kinds of things um and so as a setting book um it actually is 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 fantastic and so i kind of take that as as a base uh but clearly i'm looking to take it out of cholt and uh right you know and 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 i don't have port and i don't have all these things here right um and so um kind of comes across as to um why I made this place to begin with, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you like the that setting, so you. So, so yeah. I made this, right? Yeah. So, um, so I made this world, right? You know, there's a lot, you know. So there is history and everything here, but I think uh, uh, what I did is, is I kind of made uh, the campaign first, right? You know, I said like, I wanted. I want a jungle campaign, right? You know, uh, my player, I talk to my players if they want something more open world or do they want, you know, more linear, you know, and, and they def- and they were unanimous in the idea that they want a more linear campaign. Um, I was like, okay, right, you know. Um, yeah. so, um, you know, so that's what I'm creating. I'm creating for them specifically. Um, and so uh, I thought about maybe like this quest, right, you know. Uh, I want a jungle campaign where... Uh, some of the things that I wanted to explore as a DM uh, was I wanted the idea of having that actual exploration feature uh, really uh, uh, front and center. Um, you know, so like if you were trying to do social, you would probably do something in the city and something high political, right? You know, that was your mm-hmm. main feature, right? You know, and, and I think D&D has a lot of things where combat is the main feature and that's oh, yeah, definitely. pretty, pretty obvious, right? Um Right, so I really wanted to do something where exploration was the main feature, and I thought the best way to do this is to give them essentially a quest, right? So, okay. uh, so you have this quest, and you're going to go this long distance, uh, and, uh, and 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 hopefully at the end you'll you'll succeed in your goals. Um, and to so so what I 
did in the beginning is I gave them a map, uh, a map of this, like this tiny little thing. So a map of their valley, right? And I was like, you know the map of your valley, right? You know, you know that, um, you know, you have a long coastline, right? You know, there's like a volcanic mountain kind of, so you have a long coastline on the, on the west, you have a volcanic mountain on the east, right? You know, but the mountain range kind of curves around. And so you're actually surrounded on three sides by a mountain, one side by a coast, uh, right? You know, and, and uh, you know, this is like the little major river and, you know, these are the little towns. And you know these things because um, you guys, you, you, you are actually... Uh, like guardsmen or protectors of of the valley, right? You know, you, you check in with Newport, every right. you get your orders or whatever, right? You know, and and why you're doing this or who you are, or how you came to this, that's up to you. Uh, but that's kind of the setup I wanted here. Uh, and so, uh, you know, so they can turn around and be like, oh, yeah, I can say uh, I'm a half-elf, so I'm from where else be in the north, right? You know, or I'm a dwarf, so I'm in the south where the dwarves are, right? You know, <laughs> um, and, and they get really comfortable with this thing here, and you spend a couple of sessions in here, right? You know, and then all of a sudden you're you're in the volcanic mountain, and all this is where your quest takes off, and you're headed east. And, and everything you thought you knew, everything that you planned in your backstory, everything, you know, that that is still there and it's all true and, and it's part of your motivations, right? You know, but you are no longer, you no longer have the safety of this map. And so I start by designing, like, you have this area here, right, that you're very comfortable with. And then right. you're going to go and you're going to explore the very much unknown. You have no map. You have a general direction. Right, you know, and and you meet people or you know tribes or or whatever along the way, and that's kind of how I set it up, um, and so, uh, and that's why making my own world was so important, right? Um, Didn't be- want people to have like access to the answers of what was there. Uh, no, it was less about the access to the answers of what was there, but I wanted a world that was uh, unbuilt so that I could. Build it as needs provided, right? Okay. Why does someone make a, you know, there's a few reasons why people make a world. One of them is just like, oh man, I, I you know, I have this idea for all this political structure and, and you know, how trade routes go and, and you know, like, and they pretty much, they plan everything in the world before they even get there, right? And I really mm-hmm. wanted something where I could um, create something. And, and I, don't get me wrong, I have a history for this world, right? You know, uh, like a deep, right ancient history for this world, um, you know, which is reasons why they find ancient cities and other ruins along the way, right? You know, why certain tribes are where they are. Um, I don't want anything in this world to just be here uh, through fiat. I want there to be a grounded reason why anybody would be in section A, B, or C. Gotcha. Sorry, just need a drink. <laughs> yep, yep. It's all good. Right right or, you know, like... <laughs> I like that your drink is also kind of like interacting with the background. It's going to see through. Does it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh my goodness, it yeah. does. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it goes. Uh, right, so that ends up being the purpose of it. And so then we have this idea, okay, so they're on this quest. Right, you know, we're definitely in a jungle campaign. Uh, we're going to start at uh, the volcanic mountainside. Only now we're heading uh, east of it. So um, first, I start with uh, a dragon. A dragon is inside the mountain, and a dragon is like, okay, yep. 
Uh, I like Undead. I have Undead in everything I do. I don't know why. I'm just fascinated with D&D Undead. That's a pretty common enemy. Pretty common so, enemy, you know, right? Yeah, well, simple. You don't have to think about it. There's no, like, it's just, yeah, it's evil kill it. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's the other thing, too, is, is I think uh, I have a lot of ambiguity in terms of are these people good, are they not good, right? You know, uh, just because you come across a cobalt, uh, you know, a couple may be nefarious, but most of them are probably benign, and right? Uh, uh, you know, uh, and I, and my players kind of know this because in my previous campaign, you know, like the lizard men were, were smart, intelligent potion makers for the most part. Right, you know, which is not lore. <laughs> right, you know. Well, it is for your campaign now. But it is for mine, right? Yeah. So um, so they know that I'm willing to, like, change any of these things on a dime uh, to however I think fits. And so I think Undead, I, the reason I, I, I love them is because uh, there are so many options in the Monster Manual, Volo's Guide, Mordenkind's Tomb of Foes. Um, Right, you can tell I have the legacy books, uh, yep. <laughs> right? But there's so many options in these uh, in these books, um, and because they're undead, they're unambiguous. Unambug- there's no doubt <laughs> that these are uh, uh, things you can just go and kill, and, and you don't have to worry about moral repercussions later. Right, right, um, and so. Um, and so they, this is part of the things that they did. They found that brought them to uh, the volcano, like in, from their safety zone, uh, was that uh, you know some some creatures that were dead, supposedly you know like some undead creatures appeared, and it was not something that uh, was seen or known, right? You know, like everyone in the land there, in that little land of safety, uh, you know, little piece of little piece of Eden, uh, you know, uh, dead stayed dead. You know, you didn't come back as a monstrosity uh so this is very strange this would be very strange to those characters right um and so the uh the dragon in the um uh in the mountain right you know he is protector of the lands on both sides uh right you know and he is in here in studies um and uh and there's prophecy to go by you know to go around there um you know, and one of the things, well, you know, so in the ancient lore, there was a, a great war with dragons that were started, you know, between dragons and humans, and then the allies of humans versus the allies of dragons, and right, and essentially, so just humans and not other. Like, I would think that if the there was a war against dragons, there'd be more than just humans. That's why I say like the allies of, right? So, right. Okay. Uh, so essentially, like uh, the elves uh, and the dwarves, uh, most of them, right? You know. Uh, would have allied with you know with the humans as well as you know maybe the Baxis etc. Um, whereas maybe like the Leonin and the Kobolds and the and the Yuanti, um, right? They allied with uh, with the dragons and okay. you know in um, some maybe you know more more split right? You know so like if you're a race that's more tribal, then maybe this tribe would have allied on one side and this other tribe would have allied on the other. But does that make sense? No, no, totally. That's okay. just, you know, different. And <laughs> right? gives you a little freedom as well for, I was just curious about like it. Specifying yeah, what... humans seemed a little different to me. That's all. Well, so, uh, and, and actually um, in the end, uh, you know, cause the human side lost. And, and so uh, all after, you know, they were starting to be eradicated. And so that's why this piece of Eden existed. 
right? You know, is that the mountains rose in order to give them a home because uh, it's kind of like a Noah's Ark kind of uh, situation where, um, you know, it's like, well, you know, we, we can't let you just die out, so we're going to give you a home here. But um, due to <laughs> all of their... like a time capsule. Like a little time capsule. Uh, but they they remember that it was the humans that started the war. So uh, even though they allied and now they're here, they you know like they remember and humans are a little more distrusted, right? Like not outwardly uh, hostile, but distrusted. <laughs> okay. Right. So then this dragon, of course, uh, right? This prophecy where um, you know he's he is kind of protector of both sides. Right, you know, uh, you know, where he has to kind of play that arbiter, right? You know, so he's uh, he wants to keep both sides separate, and that's why right. he he raised the mountain or had help raising the mountain, uh, you know. And uh, but the prophecy, of course, is uh, if his eyes should meet the sun, right? You know, then that will bring the uh, telling of the next great war with dragons. And so he's afraid to leave the mountain because he's afraid to lay eyes on the sun ever. And that's why he sends emissaries, right? So these group of adventurers who are uh, <clears throat> clearly capable of, of uh, you know, doing some things, maybe more capable uh, than his industrious cobalt uh, that inhabit his lair, right? You know, um, okay. he says, I need you to go out and do this for me. I need you to find out why the undead are rising and take care of it. That's, that's what I need you to do. Right, you know, and uh, and so that is their that is their mission, their quest, right? And uh, you know, and you kind of give them some direction, right? You know, you give them and you give them some interesting landmarks, uh, right? You know, so uh, um, in Tomb of Annihilation, there is a floating rock that's shaped like a heart, uh, and I like that idea, so I boom, that belongs over there, and. You know, because you start high up in the mountains and you can kind of get a glance over overview, right? You know, I kind of was like, yeah, you see a tower peaking, like, uh, sticking up of the uh, the forest and you see a floating rock. Uh, you know, the silhouette of a floating rock that's shaped like a heart has to be a trick of the eye, right? You know, because, <laughs> you know, you're so far away, right? Right. Um, you know, and then, of course, once they descend the mountain, they don't have that view anymore. Uh, but... Uh, that is certainly uh, <clears throat> something that they want to head towards. They're just like, well, that looks interesting, right? You know, the tower looks interesting. The floating, the heart looks interesting, right? You know, and, and uh, I guess from a metagame perspective, I'm sure my players are thinking, if I talked about it, there's got to be something interesting there. Uh, and there's got to be a reason. So uh, they're just like, Let, let's, you know, uh, we know that whatever it is is east. We know that this stuff is east of us. So since we need some sort of direction, like we need a... They don't like to wander aimlessly. They're just like, we'll, we'll just say that we're headed in that general direction. We'll figure out when we get there what our next step is. Um, and then, I don't know, weeks go by. Like, I can check my calendar because I have a game calendar. And for those of you who don't have a game calendar, you should be keeping track of time. I do believe that, honestly. Um. Yeah, I've, I've got a game calendar for mine. Yeah. Um, and... Uh... Sometimes I'm curious how necessary it is. Like, could you just have stuff happen at, like, speed of plot and not really care? Um, Even if you just have things that happen at the speed of plot and you're not using it to um, 
to to turn like an enemy dial or whatever right you know like oh the right. enemy in so many days does whatever um you still should have a game calendar uh because then you can have you know holidays and i guess you can just say well here's a holiday it's here right you know, but then also players can look back and like so we can look back here and say oh they've been traveling for one two three four five weeks so far in game currently yes i found that aspect is very very useful and then as soon as you say we've been traveling for five weeks right you know as soon as you can say oh uh when was i in the flooded city ruins oh that was a week and a half ago right because like in real world that could be three four months ago but as soon as they place in, in their character oh that was a week and a half ago right <clears throat> it means something right you know it actually adds uh so much more to the game that allows people to get uh lost in the game you run mm-hmm. right uh rare similitude i think is is the is what it adds is that the right word? I'm sure it is. Um, it's a word I didn't know until I started playing D and D. I do like the like keeping track of time, just so you can know how much something has happened. So, like, yeah, there was an event that in my campaign, like real time, happened a year ago, but in game time was like one month ago. So it was still like, you know, not not recent for the characters, but not far enough away that they would have like have trouble recalling details. Right. I agree. That ended up being important for that. Is that like, oh yeah, you you know what that guy looks like? You only saw him a month ago. Right. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong. You know, like uh, in this game, there's only one god, and so it matters less. But like, um, if you were uh, in a normal game of D and D, and you were um, who's who's the goddess of the moon? Um, Sune. Well, I'm using the Greek gods, so Serene. Serena for me. Yeah. Okay. So Serene for you, right? So like, if you were a cleric of Serene. You know, you would want to know when the next full moon is. Whenever that actually happens in game, right? As a character, you would just want to know yep. when that is, right? Because that's important to your character. And the only way to know that is if there's a calendar. Yep. Right? Um, yep. And so there's a lot of other little things that are super important. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I th- We call that a no, that's, <laughs> no, I mean, that's there's some like... Uh, um... There was a werewolf movie I watched once where there was like a full moon like four days in a row, and it was like it's it was a little funny to me that it was just like oh there's another werewolf attack because mm. it's it's still a full moon, and I I know some people like because the full moon like it looks full for about three days yeah you can sort of justify having three days of a full moon but four felt like okay there's there's a writing mistake that happened here that allowed this to to happen. Um. Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, uh, I just found out through a, a different Macova video that uh, I guess TV scripts, uh, you know, are basically um, written in hours, right? You know, and then because they have such a short lead time before they have to make an episode, right? You know, yeah. that, uh, you know, some, some scripts are written as little as 20 minutes, and that's how you get uh, writing errors like that, I'm sure. Yep. It's different people wrote different acts of it, and so they had more werewolf attacks than they can actually i mean if you're following the rules fit into a movie but yeah obviously they can change how werewolves work and i should just accept that yeah (laughs) but anyways yes i love calendars they avoid uh having too many werewolf attacks yeah they do um very good things (laughs) um so it sounds like your campaign is kind of more of a a bottom-up design instead of top down 
like where instead of designing like a whole world first, you were like, I want to do this type of adventure first. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I guess that's the speaks to the kind of DM I am, right? Um, I, I want, uh, I want the space, right? So the idea of making a world is the chance to give me the space to say, oh, this is cool. I want to add this in, right? You know, but it's also got to make sense in the world, right? So, um, so then you got a couple options either, uh, you know, like, um, yeah, I guess it depends. Like, does it make natural sense? Is what I want to do just fit into a jungle normally? Well, great. I could put it, put it anywhere. Right. Um, right. you know, you know, it, uh, am I looking to have a, a particular kind of, uh, uh, accent, like a, a tribe act in a particular way? Well, okay, sure. Is that because they live near water or is that because, um, they have little access to water? Are they more higher up in, right? You know, um, you know, are, are these a tribe that likes to live in tops of the trees or, or whatever, right? And so then I can kind of place them where I think it is. But also, like, if I'm just like, well, this is this is something I want to put at my players uh, soon, like maybe after this next adventure, right? You know, uh, then maybe I can direct, you know, like, uh, there's no, you know, I don't have... You know, uh, there's only 20 hexes between point A and point B, right? You know, I can make that 40 hexes or 10, right? <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. and uh, and and I can put in front of them the environment that would then make sense, uh, right? You know, because there's varying degrees of jungle in the jungle. Yeah. Right. Uh, which you know, uh, I, I hope is true because uh, otherwise jungles become very boring. Uh, <laughs> I. Sure, it can be true for you. Why not? Yeah. Um, I know that's definitely true for the Alaskan rainforest, as there's varying variations there. I know people don't usually think of that as a jungle, but um, it's technically a rainforest. So, um, right. where there's there's thicker portions and it evens out, and it has even like you know more tundra stuff that's separating different sections of the rainforest. And there's large mounds that kind of come up with plateaus where there's not much on top of the plateaus that really exists in our real world, right? And so. Um, you know, so so I have those kind of things in this one as well. In fact, that's kind of where uh, the players kind of are right now is that they're kind of like on a savanna kind of plateau where because uh, they're up higher, the trees haven't grown up there. And, and so you get this large area that's mostly grasslands, uh-huh. right? And uh, which is jungle adjacent and uh, fits very thematically. And so uh, what do they meet there? Well, Leonin, that makes sense. Right, so I have a little tribe of very, uh, you know, uh, noble and and uh, a very chivalrous kind of, uh, you know, honor among all uh, Leonin, right? Okay. Um, um, so you mentioned like the the great war between dragons and humans, and dragons won, so humans were like banished to this little section. Yeah. Um, what about the the dragon civilization? So dragons themselves um, are not as communal, right? And so, uh, you know, so one dragon kind of looks out over a large, vast area, right? And so um, the dragon that looks over this area, right, you know, is in a mountain and he's afraid to leave, right? right? Right. And so, uh, but he's still uh, definitely a caretaker, right? Because he still sends out his emissaries. He's still... um, 
you know, like he's not known. In fact, uh, those who do know him are instructed, like, you can't talk about me because uh, if too many people know about me, then they'll come in and they'll try to drive me out or they'll try to, you know, especially those in the valley, right, you know, who are going to think Dragon's bad because of the big war, right? Okay. All right. You know? I was thinking that was separate. Uh, right. So, th so this so dragon is overlooking certainly... the human enclave. Is that what's happening? So, so like, yeah, there's a little section here. It's not just humans, right? You know, but like other other yeah. races that uh, were decimated in the war that were on the losing side, right? Um, and okay. so, uh, you know, this dragon, of course, isn't acting autonomously, right? You know, uh, this dragon uh, Kiwi has his own history. Uh, he was a great warrior in this war. Um, and, uh, and as the war was ending down, it was clear that they had won, uh, and they were still going around annihilating various villages, um, and, and various settlements, uh, right? He was giving a very direct directive from, from an angel, right? Because in this world, there's one God and many angels, um, and, uh, he was giving, you know, saying like, no, you actually can't allow, um, all the races here to to be wiped out you actually have to protect some you have to save some you have to give them a home right that that okay. is his directive right and so uh, this is not something that he sought out to do but uh it is something he did because he was commanded by an authority higher than him gotcha okay right? uh, but there are other dragons right so if they were to travel uh a little bit north um Right, you know, uh, if they were traveling more north, uh, they would probably discover uh, a very barren, barren, uh, like almost deserty kind of land, and and uh, there's a dragon that surrounds that area as well. Right, uh, I know that off the coast, one of the things in in the lore is, you know, that so one thing they do know is that like when ships try to go out too far, they don't come back, and when they do, like the few survivors that they have had, right, you know, have talked about. Uh, you know, a great dragon of the deep, and and there is there's a dragon out there in the in the waters in the island areas over there, right? So uh, dragons kind of have their own large swath of area that they kind of look over and 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 do and rule as they wish. I don't know what rule is right, um, but uh, look over as they wish. Um, I was gonna say own might be a better word for own. it. Right. Well, uh, and here's the thing I think, too, is this is the real, real twist. And, and the players are discovering this bit by bit is that, um, you know, one dragon kind of went rogue. Right. You know, and and attacked and, and, and did some bad things. And and uh, and the humans took that as an excuse to blame war on all dragons because they wanted the power that dragon bits give you. Right. So so they, you know, they, they want, you know, they, uh, you know, they, after after the one dragon that that wasn't good, you know, that they kind of did some bad things was slain. You know, the humans, you know, you know, took pieces, including the heart and everything else and discovered, you know, we have some real magic properties, real power here. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and um, and so they decided very quickly that um, that they were going to use this as a catalyst for war um, on the dragons. Uh, which sucked them all in, uh, but uh, that's you know like that was one dragon. When most aren't like that, just like you know one, you know like people. Like, there's there, there's so many more good people in this world than there are bad, right? You right. know, but it's the but you know it's the people with ill intent that uh, can really drive the most negative uh, uh, 
uh, most negative consequences in our world. Right. Not that I'm trying to make it about our, you know, our real world. I'm really not. It's a game of escapism in many ways, but. Yes. Yeah. But still, you want to, if you make it too different then it, um, it's harder to get into your character. Right. Exactly. So, so dragons um, aren't evil and, uh, but they're not necessarily benevolent. Right. <clears throat> um and so they're discovering you know like uh the kobolds that they've come into or uh, the uh goblins that they come into they weren't evil either right they they were you know uh, they came across a tribe of goblins and and uh and and there was uh, another monster it's one of my own making called an adorableist uh right you know that uh, survives by charming you know easy to charm peoples and then gets them to serve Right, you know, and so it can live in comfort because it's mind controlled a bunch of people. So is it like a succubus or no, it's it's an adorableist. It's I don't know, I just made it up. Well, what does it look like? Uh so it looks like uh think of it starting as like a panther. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, uh so I kind of thought of like what if a displacer beast could actually do these other things instead? Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay um and uh so kind of you know so it's definitely more cat-like um uh, right you know it has uh oversized eyes uh to which to make you uh feel uh <laughs> all right feel sympathetic right. And, and 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 kind and loving to it um right you know and even in itself is not benevolent it didn't ask you know these goblins to do uh, uh anything uh gross or, or abhorrent or anything right but uh it, it wanted to be served above the well-being of the goblins so like their little village started you know was like in uh, in squalor right <clears throat> you know uh they they and their peoples were were starving because they were giving you know all the food and all the best things to this one creature right who was not necessarily who was taking for themselves and not really looking out for the best interest of everyone and so a little magical mooch little magical mooch yeah and so uh, uh right so so the goblins themselves they weren't evil right you know and and so um and i already know you know like i already have ideas about what i want to do about you know the grung and the you know and, and you and any of the classic uh uh character types that i can put into a jungle right mm-hmm. um, yeah you know, that uh, are not inherently evil in themselves at all. Um, in fact, you know, uh, as I said, there's like one God. And, and one thing that they're discovering as there are a lot of very um, characters are very religious. We've had uh, uh, a player who plays a cleric and he's not there full time. Right. Uh, we have another one that uh, uh, has an acolyte background. Right, you know, uh, we have another one that's paladin, um, and uh, and 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 they're discovering like uh, no matter where they go, right, you know, the uh, the symbolism, uh, you know, is is all to the same deity, and and the stories, right, you know, all all are of the same deity, and that um, you know, we came from this little safety alcove, and and we were told like. You know, everyone on the side of the mountain was was against us in the in the last great war, right? You know, yet we're all unified uh, by uh, by this one common thread, right? And and I and it's not a big thing; it's not an overbearing thing uh, in this world, right? You know, but it is there in the underlying, 
and that when they uh, are looking to try to find common ground, um, <clears throat> that is often the place they can find it. It's the, the one god. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, that's that's definitely different than most D&D campaigns being set up. Most. And and I just thought, you know, to me, I just thought it'd be fun, right? You know, like I just thought it'd be a fun thing to add into this world. I'm making a whole new world, right? You know, I can do whatever I want with it. And uh, certainly with... Uh, uh, with some of the other campaigns I ran, uh, right, you know, I have mixed up the uh, Faerun gods and, and how they're, some of their relations, and then many of them I kind of kept exactly as, as was written in lore, uh, right, you know, I just, um, I thought, you know, uh, I've played in a lot of campaigns, and I've run a couple uh, where uh, we were multi-theistic, uh, you know, reality it's a multi-theistic reality um uh and i thought i'd uh try something um a little different right you know by having this different layer underneath okay yeah um so is it like that the one god is all-powerful or a sun god or something else um so its holy symbol is in fact uh three concentric circles with uh ex- with uh, radiating lines that does look a lot like a sun uh, but it is like the god of all creation. Okay. Yep. Right? Um, and so because the sun is often one of the life-giving things, um, yeah. right, you know, that is kind of how that tied in there. And so you have a, a bunch of angels as well. Um, and I've always thought that, um, at least for Christianity and Catholicism, it's almost not monotheistic because of how prominently the angels feature and how people do prayers in catholicism um yeah the angels kind of like that or do people worship them for specific things or it still all goes back to the one god in in this world i think it all goes back to uh uh, the one god uh but uh the angels are a mechanical thing to kind of explain why different kinds of clerics and different kinds of paladins and different kinds of druids, right? Why they might exist in this world, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, so, so we have a one all-powerful god of creation, right, you know, that uh, has a world set in motion and then uses the effective angels to help him carry him or her, uh, help God carry out the plants, right? And so very often these angels might choose a mortal champion, right? Um, yep. And and so I just I wanted I, I gave five major angels uh, mainly to be um, uh, to kind of give players an idea of of what might be here right and so uh, like if I go right to my document here um, what it says here uh, it says here is your one true God the God has created the rules and the laws that govern the universe have assigned them to angels to complete His work. There are many angels that cover all domains and the work, and they work in unison to complete their work as commanded. Uh, one of God's greatest gifts, of course, is free will. However, the angels will often grant power to those who follow closely in their domain to help them set the world on its path. Uh, five major angels are usually represented in a small temple. However, there are a wide array of angels, and if one has made a significant impression in a particular area, that local temple may also have a representation in addition. Uh, and then I talk about. Uh, five possible angels. Okay. Right? Um, so, um, 
gives uh do you want me to talk about the angels is that yeah yeah sure so it sounds like there you have individual ones and it's not just like there's a hundred two hundred angels but it's more like a, a limited like a dozen or something uh, well, so so here the idea is, is I have five angels that kind of cover a large array of things, right? You know, and then if players want to be like, well, that doesn't quite fit what I want, you know, it says, okay, well, tell me about the angel that uh, <clears throat> that, that has significant area and you, significant impact in your area that you knew about that that you started to kind of follow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it kind of leaves things again open. I think the whole purpose of having uh, you know, homebrew world like this is to have the space to create what you need uh, to fit uh, to fit right. You know that that you have that verisimilitude. Um, you know, so you don't have a harsh break here. Um, right, so right. The five I started and and I just used uh, Google Translate and uh, and came up with like. Uh, <clears throat> Different languages, like Vilmark uh, is the angel of wilderness, nature, and exploration, also agriculture and fishing, right? Mm-hmm. Vildmark's a real word in some language, I forget. Um, and then so, some of these I may actually mispronounce. Some of them I changed slightly the spelling, but I took the base oh. of the word. So we have, sorry, um? Uh, Vilmark, I think, is German. German? Yeah. Quite possibly. Uh <laughs> Uh, Sentia, right, is the god of truth, knowledge, discovery, right? Uh, Zangai is of warriors, justice, and vengeance. Iwu, of law, merchants, and government. And Delart, of craftsmanship, art, and music, and other creative endeavors such as smithing, weaving, and tailoring. And that being said, right, you know... um, Due to you know, like uh, the uh, the cleric who who's kind of there part time, uh, was like, well, I want to be like a light cleric, right? Like the class I want, the subclass I want to play is a light cleric, yep. right? You know, which is all like fire and such, right? You know, and he says, and I was really thinking of like, uh, you know, so we had a discussion that went back and forth, and it came out that he was thinking more like you know, using fire as a, a form of renewal. Right, you know, and I says, okay, so that's that's great. So then we have Kosuth of fire, uh, Kosuth of destruction and renewal, um, and that's really kind of the note there. And I let him fill in a lot of uh, the gaps of of, of how uh, the same you know, part time as well. So uh, <laughs> I didn't expand the notes like crazy, but uh, you know, I have enough there, so I have an idea of you know like how this angel might kind of interact, right? You know. Um, and uh, and and uh, give him a place in this world, right? You know, where like, okay, so we use fire to like kind of destroy and renew, and so we can have rebirth, and you know, uh, yep. so then we have imagery of things like the phoenix and such. Um, but he still has, you know, the three concentric circles with the radiating lines as the holy symbol, right? Because your main holy symbol is still that of the one god in the world. Yeah, I was about to say, oh, his holy symbol could be something like a pine cone, but yeah, good point. Still has to be one god, right? So, so that's kind of a an example there where um, we collaborated to make a piece of this world that maybe that I wouldn't have made on my own, right? <clears throat> but um, you know, the, it now exists as a as a real canon piece of the world, um, and. Uh, and then it gave him a, a magic weapon that he just, that he found called Kosus, uh, 
uh, Kulsu's proxy, and uh, and there's lore behind that that he discovered that it used to, that it that it actually belonged to the previous uh, champion of Kosuth, uh, which is uh, many decades apart, or at least a decade apart. Um, and uh, in that um, him finding this piece obviously is not an accident that it somehow right. was placed in his path. So you mentioned that there was a, a plot where they were trying to, their players were trying to get somewhere to to do something. Yeah, yeah, right. So I'm very vague on purpose. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so well, I mean, I, there's an element to the podcast where like you, your players are probably going to listen to this, so I know there's some stuff that people don't want to reveal. So like if you have trouble answering that question? That's okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have actually very good players who who don't meta game very much. Uh, so even if they did know, uh, they probably wouldn't uh, uh, use that information. Uh, I have some surprises that I won't talk about so that they can still be surprised, um, okay. right? But um, so uh, tentatively, right now, their their um, their goal is the is the heart rock that seems to float in the sky. And uh, and that certainly marks a very very key point uh, in the campaign, uh, where uh, they're going to meet up with a key uh, NPC, and uh, um, right you know we've kind of already had a, a, a set, you know we've had some sessions where they've already met uh, um, uh, one of the uh, real actually bad bad guys uh, bad girls in this case. Um, Right, you know, and I thought there was a very funny moment here where, because um, uh, this person is in fact a, a lich, so when the paladin pinged for undead, and the only person that came back was this NPC that was traveling with them and super helpful and and helped them get around a lot of things, right? You know, um, right. as they were going after this treasure in this in this city here, uh, in the city ruins here, <laughs> uh, right? You know, uh, the paladin turns around and was like. Everything is fine. Wink, wink, and uh, and like no one responded to it. Like the Warforged was just kind of like, yeah, I, I, I don't know human interaction content. <laughs> like, you know, so like no one took that. I don't have eyelids. What are you doing? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, right, you know. So then, of course, the NPC is like, oh, is there something wrong with your eye, dear? <laughs> you know, kind of like, oh yeah, right. So uh, yeah. Right, you know, and then uh, and then of course uh, the the NPC ended up taking the treasure. Just took the treasure, bam, out of there, and then uh, um, he discovered that a lot of the hazards that this NPC was able, yeah, you know, this this bad person who they didn't know at the time was able to help get around is because uh, she actually has control of many of the undead traveling around this these ruined cities. In fact, these undead were working for her, looking for the same treasure that they went oh. and got, right? And so when she got the treasure, she was basically able to say, okay, don't let them leave the city, and she bamped out of there. Yeah, I'm doing a very similar disadventure, not a whole campaign um, for my players right now. Yeah, I, I find that uh, if you put a bad guy in front of them and then they get away, my players hate them. Just they, like They hate them. Like uh, Nothing makes them more angry, right? Oh, uh, I There was a... There was an article I read once about like a way to motivate your players if you really want them to go to some place and they're they're not willing with any other plot hook, is to have someone steal something from them, and then go off towards that location. Then yeah. your players will always follow that person and go that way. So yeah, it they want their like, stuff back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically the same thing. Where she, the the 
stole like the final thing they were trying to get at that adventure. So now it's like that was theirs, right? So now they have to go. They have to go after. Right. Exactly. And said so. They, they, this group has been traveling now for for five in character weeks, which has been far more than that in, in real life, obviously. Um, and uh, and they still haven't even made it there, right? You know, uh, because the destination isn't the point. The the journey is. And I'm working really hard to make the discovery of what's happening, uh, how this land changes and, and how different peoples they might encounter uh, interact with the same environment that they're with, right? I'm working really hard to make that uh, continuously interesting, uh, moving the plot forward, right? You know, and, and just the idea that they, they can look off on the horizon and say, we're still headed there, right? You know, um, uh, this gives them the direction that they need to go. Right, you know, and allows them yeah. to enjoy the exploration as it happens. Yes, yeah, um, at a flash, that's very similar to like the plot of Star Trek Voyager, where they have a destination, but it's it's so far off that it's really more about the journey for the the TV episodes. Right. Yeah, I think I've watched like the first five episodes of Voyager. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the overarching plot. Yeah, I'm sure there's nothing similar at all, but <laughs> still. No, but I like that idea. No, I think you're right. Because their idea was, is Voyager was trying to find their way home. Yep. Right? Uh, But through that anomaly, they were, like, if they just went straight there, they would never get there. Right? Right. So. uh, They would die. Yeah, because they were, like, yeah, ridiculously far away. Ridiculously far away. Um, Right? This is accessible, right? You know, uh, but uh, this is uh, more like um, uh, Frodo's journey in Lord of the Rings. Uh, where, uh, right, you know, where, where you can point to it on a map and you know it's accessible. You can get there eventually, like in your lifetime. But like the, the journey to get there is, is, is arduous and perilous and, uh, and there is no mortar. I mean, don't worry, I'm not doing Lord of the Rings. But <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't sound like there was. <laughs> but uh, no, they are, uh, I know, like I know that um, where this floating rock is, uh, it really kind of marks the halfway point. Right? Oh, okay. So, uh, but when they get to the floating rock, they're going to have uh, another chance to kind of look out and 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 see kind of uh, where they're going. And um, there's going to be, you know, because there's there's going to be a knowledgeable NPC here, right? You know, there's going to be information here. So there's going to be um, uh, a lot of uh, real new directive, right? So when they get here and they uncover, uh, you know, even with no roles, they'll have some idea of where to go right you know um and uh, and of course with uh more investigation or more things that they may decide to do right you know the more they get involved with uh, what's here um right you know and hopefully i'm setting this up before they get here right so it's not just going to be like oh you're just wandering around getting here and then hearing all the new stuff right uh i'm building the world uh, you know to them and throwing bits of the world at them building up their history building up their future um, so that um, uh, when they get here, uh, they're going to have a lot of things to do, and there's going to be a lot of things to kind of look over, and that's going to give them a new direction for the next large length, if that makes sense, right? Where, where again, because they, uh, and, and, and I'm planning on doing it in this way, because my players reacted so well, like have, have gone along so well with it, uh, you know, with this halfway point. 
right? They, they keep referring back to, you know, this is the direction we're headed and we kind of have something that we're headed towards so we don't feel like we're aimless. And I realize like that's important to them. So I want to make sure I give them something, even if it is far off the distance, that makes them not feel like they're, they're aimless, right? Uh, in the meantime, uh, for individual sessions, I also want to make sure I'm giving them, you know, uh, clear plot hooks, uh, clear things for them to do, uh, you know, and things that they uncover, they may decide that they want to do themselves, right, you know, uh, because how they interact with the world uh, changes the world. It changes how uh, certain things may fall out. Um, they they know that, uh, well, they know from my DMing them before in other campaigns that uh, I will 100% make what they do have effects on what may happen in the future, right? It is it is always very rewarding to get to like a, an epilogue session for a campaign and get to fast forward and see all the effects of those decisions. Right. Yeah. So, so I think that's kind of what I got there. Um, there's some other things I think I've done that I'm proud about here, actually. Well, uh, one of my other questions I had for you was about, you mentioned a, uh, a uh, exploration like short rest and resource system that sounded kind of interesting you want to talk yeah, more about that actually where i wanted to go look at that all same, right same page Woo <laughs> um so um let's talk about cr and the adventuring day man does that not awful like who runs that way right uh the idea behind a lot of the what works in DD is uh you know you're supposed to have so many um uh, uh, so many uh, uh, adventures between long rests, right? So yeah, I think it, it varies between. a little bit between edition, but like I think the basic idea is that you're supposed to have like four five? separate CR one encounters per day, um, if you're a level one adventuring party, and that should exhaust your resources enough that at that point you need to take a rest, a long rest. Sure, and that makes sense. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not an expert on the CR system. Uh, but, uh, what I did here is I said, look, um, I don't like having, uh, counters or random stuff happen for the sake of randomness, right? Uh, doesn't mean that they're not going to just come across some random gorilla tearing through the jungle or something, right? Um, right. You know, or some, or, or they might just come across some random nest of snakes that can happen. Don't get me wrong. Right. But, uh, if I run a whole campaign where all I'm doing is constantly rolling dice, you know, and, and, and on in any session, right, you know, we have, you know, three encounters that I didn't actually prep before session that we just kind of had, um, you know, because the dice said this belongs here. And then you get some weird stuff like, you know, um, you know, why am I having the terror folk attack people in the savannah where they're already leaning, right? You know, like, what are the terror folk doing here, right? Um, like I like things that they're you know. So if they're going to encounter something, I want it to have impact on uh, on them. I want to have impact on terms of it's got to uh, you know ingrain them more in the world, move the actual plot forward for that adventure, move the plot forward for the campaign as a whole. Right, you know, give character um, progression, right? You know, or, or it's got to do something. It can't just be random. I did not want to have yes. that, right? And so yeah, that's I, a 
yeah, I can think of something where I did for that was um, I'll have like random encounters at the start of an adventure, but usually it's something like there's a there's a plague in this region, so there's like a diseased wolf that attacks them or something like that. Where right. it's it can feel random, but then once you get to the next step of the adventure, you realize that oh, there's like rabies that's going around, so that's that's the problem you have to deal with. Was the reason that that wolf attacked? Right. Perfect. So, so you're on the same page here. So, I said uh, I can. I, I, I want you to like. I don't want you to spend like. You're supposed to have days of travel, right? Like, you know, you're going to have, you know, if this is a, an exploration campaign, you're not in the city or you're not, you know, you're not on some road. You're going to have literal days of travel, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and theoretically, as per the rules, you could have a long rest every single day, right? You know, and therefore, anytime you encounter anything, you could go Nova on it, knowing that, you, you know, like, I can't throw enough at you. In any kind of given day so we said uh what we're going to do is we're going to do a short rest system where uh you get a long rest when you're in a safe place as determined by me the dm so you know <laughs> uh you, you get a long rest when you're in a safe place and when you're camping out in the jungle you spend um you spend your time getting a short rest uh but you take the length of time one normally takes for a long rest right and so um we have uh, an eight-hour traveling day, eight hours of camp setup, takedown, and whatever other uh, you know uh, downtime activities you want to do on a daily basis, and then literally eight hours of sleeping because you know you need that, and yeah. uh, and you get a short rest. And if you don't, if you want to have a quick take up and take down and no downtime or whatever, you can push yourself, right? You know, and travel for sixteen hours that day. Right. And then possibly, you know, there'll be a role for exhaustion. That's the way I'm going to run it. You know, there's going to be a role for exhaustion. So you may be exhausted. You may not, you know, and exhaustion lasts until you get a long rest. Right. Mm-hmm. So then that risk as well becomes more, more you know, even more of a choice. Right. More of an actual choice. Right. You know, because if you get exhaustion, you may have it for a number of sessions. Right, it, and it begins yeah, yeah. to mean more, right? You know, and if you do it for too many days in a row, right? Now they have—I haven't put in front of them uh, a moment where. Um, well, that's not true. I have, uh, and I, I've done it once so far where where I chased them, right? You know, and they said, "You know what? We want a full short rest. Fine, no problem." I rolled the dice, and uh, and your short rest was interrupted. Right, you know, you you were found by your 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 pursuers, right, or some of your pursuers, right, and uh, and so then they took care of all that, and I said, okay, so the idea of a short rest is over now. You're not going to get that, but you can stay here, and 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 I'll roll again to see if more pursuers find you, right, you know, because uh, the situation they knew that we're talking hundreds of of undead army essentially, right, you know, and only like half a dozen found them kind of thing right or probably right. More. i forget the exact numbers but uh right you know um so i'll roll the dice and maybe you'll be discovered again and maybe you won't um or you know you can leave and and, and travel and risk exhaustion and that's the, that that is kind of where you're at here right so i'm presenting real options real choices um that uh 
right? And, and so they chose to they chose to move on. And yeah, I've uh, always thought D and D is pretty cool when you have hard choices like that for players. Yeah, because uh, choices matter, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully in your games, choices matter. Hopefully, uh, yeah. consequences yeah. are a thing, and uh, <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. So then, um, so that's like just the rest system, right? You know, but there are so many other things in D and D that uh, take away the uh, the exploration bit. Right, and so uh, resting takes eight hours. Um, um, heavy armor is not conducive to the hot, steamy jungle. You can wear it. I'm not saying you can't, but I am letting you know right up front: wearing it will require roll for exhaustion at the end of each traveling day. I just, I don't care. I'm just saying that's what it is. People don't wear it because it's too hot, it's too steamy, right? You know, um, and we're talking about no. like, yeah, I have- definitely like. I think that's something where like knights didn't wear it while they were traveling. They just brought it with them for battles. You'd put it on before a battle. You wouldn't wear it for eight hours. Right. Right. You would wear it just to fight in and then you would take it off because it's crazy hot. Yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, and obviously no one wears heavy armor. So yeah, go up here. Uh, though there's some, uh, um, medium armor. That's medium armor people in our group. <laughs> I kind of let that go. Uh, I don't want it to be like I don't want Verisuduma to to really uh, take over fun, right? Right, yeah. you know. So kind of having this in there in the in in kind of like my custom rules for this campaign only because this is how I run everything, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, kind of gives them the idea of like, okay, it's 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 hot and it's rainy and it does rain every every session. Uh, they're in the savannah, so I haven't actually talked about rain uh, because it hasn't rained there. Mm-hmm. Although they're dealing with some other weird weather anomaly, so maybe they hadn't really quite noticed it hasn't rained yet. Uh, but every time they've been in the jungle, it has rained literally every session. And uh, and I don't roll for will it rain. I roll for how long it'll rain and how heavy it'll rain. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, you know, that, and so that's what the the random rain is, right? You know, so they know I'm rolling for rain, but they've come to realize. Uh, very quickly, like, oh no, it's just going to rain every day. Why not? Yeah. We're in a rainforest, right? Um, yeah. Uh, I said uh, everyone's expected to track inventory, food, and water. Might be able to forage and hunted, uh, right? You know, but uh, you know, we're, we're everything has a weight, um, and uh, and if something comes in without a weight, I'll go into their character sheet and I will add a weight to that item. I was going to ask you about food because I felt like the 5e rules for, for food are extremely silly. Um, you need to consume one ration a day. I don't care, right? You know, a ration for the weight they give you for, you know, like whatever. I don't care. I, I, I just want the idea of like, um, but there's no economy. You can't buy rations. They're not going to a village saying like, can I give you gold for rations? Right, you know, so at some point they got to, you know, they got to make a kill and they got to like salvage the kill. And, and how much, how many rations can they get off this raptor they just killed? Well, what I'm talking about, so that the food rules are that you, you can go three days plus your constitution modifier without food. And then if you eat one day's worth of food, that counter resets to zero. Okay. So uh, the, Every the day rules you like. you don't eat your ration of food, you roll for exhaustion. Yeah, that's, that's that's more reasonable. That's it. So every day they consume a ration of food. And the Warforce is like, I'm a Warforce. I'm like, 
I don't care. You can take your rations out of everybody else and you can pretend that it's like, you know, like, oh, I'm taking the oil from the fish oil from the fish we had and that's my ration. But yes, you too also need to consume a ration from a metagame perspective. Because I don't care that you're a Warforged. I think from a metagame perspective, you're not going to get around this just by, you know, choosing a race, right? Because again, I'm trying to make this exploration pillar a real thing, right? You know, and... Uh, well, I could think of like, so he's made of like wood and metal and those parts are going to corrode and rot. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to do maintenance on those. Right. It's not necessarily fish oil, but yeah. No, I, I get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he can flavor it however he wants. He can take whatever pieces of the ration that he wants, you know, but his ration count's got to go down. Yeah. I could see his rations weighing a lot less than everyone else, though, if he wanted no. to, to play that. Yeah, he hasn't argued that point, so I'm not... I'm not worried about it. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> right? Um, you know, uh, we have a character who, uh, the one who has the Acolyte background, has a, a portable alchemy kit as a custom homebrew item. It's an alchemy kit. It has a little tiny portable space, just big enough for one potion that you can that can heat up and brew and, and be safe in here so that you can toss in your bag and the alchemy kit can jumble all around and everything, but the potion inside is always upright and, and safe. Right, and so if something needs some time to brew or whatever, right? So he has this, and this, so he's got, so he's finding pieces, um, and and I got uh, something off of the DMs Guild, um, and it kind of broke things down into, um, uh, you know, you could say it's just kind of a flower or whatever, but essentially it's either uh, an air foraging item or or land or water or vigor or corruption or fire. Uh-huh. I think I got them all, uh, right? You know, and uh, and I'm just like, oh, that makes sense. And then then you have potions, and the potions are like, uh, you know, like oh, this requires, uh, uh, you know, like uh, this requires a vigor and a water, or uh, this requires uh, a fire and you know, earth, or this requires a vigor and one of one of these other things you may have, uh-huh. right? Um, and so. Um, and so he has to go around and he has to like, you know, uh, uh, if he's trying to get uh, uh, something for for this out of a creature they sell, then that might mean that they get less rations out of it. They might be able to salvage out of it, right? Yeah, because he's got to use like the liver as a, a vigor ingredient or something like or something. that. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, uh, you know, or, you know, at the same time, he's also spending his downtime, you know, digging up rocks and, and you know, like, oh, is this a special ore for like uh, Earth or is this like, you know, a nice little flower or, or you know, like are there any birds I can shoot down and, and, and you know, special enough feathers for air or, you know. Or is it just dirt? Hmm? <laughs> or when he's digging in the ground for a special ore, is it just dirt? Is it dirt sometimes? Sometimes. Uh, right. That's why there's a roll. That's why there's some randomness in this game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Uh, you know, but of course all that weighs down on him as well. Um, I have a thing here. Magical food and water may support your body, uh, but does not sustain your mind and soul. Uh, and uh, no one wants to test this because they know that I own and have read, well, uh, my girlfriend owns and I have read it call of Cthulhu. And so they are very, very afraid to put this to the test. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so I'm not. I don't know if fifth edition has the sanity rules that third edition had. Oh, it does. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I know that they exist. Uh, I have my own ideas of what might happen. Uh, <laughs> okay, all right, right. Um, and and 
they're not, uh, you know, like I have ideas of what might happen, uh, but they haven't pushed it at all. And, and in my head, I'm like, you know what, like, if you need a ration and, and you need to get by, and so uh, uh, you have like good berry for a day or something, right? You know, and you do that for one day, and then the next day you you hunt and and, uh, and you kill some amorage, and you're just like, okay, we got some real meat, we got some real rations now, right? You know, <clears throat> then um, right, you know, then that's not actually going to have a lasting effect, right? You know, but if you're going to be constantly relying on good berry for you know days on end. Right, you know, then then yes, you're actually going to have uh, some trouble. Yeah, I think a consequence like that is necessary for an exploration campaign, because otherwise, a lot of the challenges just become: I use a first or second level spell, and the problem goes away. Okay. Um, so then let's talk about my disallowed list. Um, I don't have counterspell in any of my games. You play any game with me? Counterspell doesn't exist. Um, you know, my enemies don't have like the bad guys don't have it, the good guys don't have it, just doesn't exist. Yeah. A large yeah, you reason, always want to be large reason why is as a player and as a DM, I've played with counterspell and it's just unfun on both sides of the table. And and so I, I don't like it because I don't believe it's fun. My players have never complained about not having it. Yeah, and and so all good. Uh and then I have this general in all my campaigns. Any ever since Tasha's came out. Uh, I have just flat out said any summoning spell that does not come with its own stat block, anytime it says look in the uh, monster manual or your DM will have a stat block, I'm like, no, you can't use that spell. Pick one of the ones, pick the same spell that has a stat block and use that instead. Okay. Right? Because uh, I think I think they scale when you when you upscale spell slots, when you upscale with proficiency, right? You know, the, your summons scale, you get some options. Um, right, so there's no need not to. But for this campaign, in addition to, uh, we do not have the identify spell allowed. Uh, oh. Comprehend language, unless you get it by some other means than just a normal spell list. Because uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to like toss in a comprehend language magic item, like a consumable, where you can do it once and fine. Right, you know, um, I think at the time when I wrote that, I thought there was a, uh, a warlock invocation. That has comprehend languages, and certainly, I think if my warlock player turned around and said, "I'd like to know comprehend languages," can I use my next invocation on it? I'd probably allow it. I think there's one subclass. I'm not sure it's warlock that gets it at like level ten or something like that. I don't even remember what class that was. Though. So if you get it from a subclass feature, fair game, <laughs> right? It's not exactly overpowered at level ten either. It's not exactly overpowered at level ten. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tongues not allowed, right? Uh, Tunny hut not allowed unless obtained by some other means in a spell list. But um, yep, yep. Uh, and that's because I I have already put into previous games uh, a consumable magic item that's essentially Tunny hut. Uh, note, however, uh, Magnificent Mansion is not on this list. Uh, I figure by the time they get the spell Magnificent Mansion, if they want to use what is that like a fifth level spell slot to. To, to get a long rest in, sure. <laughs> yep. Hey, if you have a fifth level spell slot at the end of your day, uh, you know. Uh, right? So, uh, you know, seventh you, level, I just looked it up. Sorry? Seventh level. Seventh level spell slot, yeah. Seventh yeah. level. <laughs> By the time you're at seventh level and I'm throwing stuff, weird stuff at you. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Then it's, right? yeah, it's your what, choice. What level do you get seventh yeah. level spell slots at? Aren't you at like fifteenth level or something? Uh, thirteenth. Thirteenth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, I haven't done a lot of games past. I haven't played in a lot of games past ten. Uh, I haven't run a lot of games past eight. <laughs> so uh, this will be interesting uh, yeah, when it's I a get there. It's a different game at that level. Um, I do plan on it going fairly high. I have no idea how high it'll go. It's milestone leveling, so it'll be what it is. Um, but I also, like, uh, I do plan on letting it get into the teens, so we'll see how we get. Uh, right? So you get an idea of, of the disallowed spell list. <laughs> yep. Um, I gave a small buff to rangers, to anyone who want to play a ranger, and there's no rangers in my party. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I turned around and told him, yeah, use the new Tasha's Cauldron of Everything if you want. Uh, and then if you're using Favored Foe, I said, uh, I removed the concentration of it. However, I said it won't stack with like Hunter's Mark or Hex kind of thing. Uh, I thought that was a fair thing. Uh, so that way they can use their awesome concentration stuff. Now when you look at 1D&D, Rangers, their proposed is you just know the Hunter's Mark instead of doing Favored Foe, and it doesn't cost, and it's not concentration for you, specifically. So I was like, I feel like I'm right on line with with kind of what they're doing on playtesting, so I was like, oh good, I got there first. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually a bit surprised no one would choose Ranger in an exploration-based campaign. It feels like the perfect class for that. Mm-hmm. It does, right? I thought, you know what? Well, uh, you know, they made some really interesting things with Tasha's Cauldron and everything, Ranger features, and uh, and I was giving a little bit of an extra buff or a bump, and yeah, I was looking forward to having a Ranger, and and no, no one wanted. I'm like, okay, fine, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, you play what you want to play. I, I'm also the feeling like, um, like, I could have done this with all rogues. I don't care. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? You know. Um, I mean, the players might. If there's too many rogues, they might be like, "Well, then, what's special about me?" But uh, um, and you know what? Like, there's a bit of that. Like, uh, we had a new person join, uh, and they had an idea of being an alchemist, making potions and such. And I was like, "Oh, that's such a great concept!" But we have someone doing that that space, right? You know. So right. so then there's this conversation of like, uh, I mean, if if it's if you're diehard on it, we can have a conversation. We can bring them into this, right? You know. Uh, if there's other concepts, characters that uh, that you have in mind, uh, then that might be another way to go. And he's like, well, yeah, no, there's, there's two others, actually, I was really thinking about hard. Um, you know, so then he brought up two more suggestions, and he went with one of those. Because <laughs> it's kind of hard when you're kind of like, um, uh, especially when you're yeah. just like, oh, I want to make like potions and such, right? You know, and you have one character who's doing that. Uh, this isn't a class feature, right? This is clearly something that's inserted extra in. Uh, I guess technically the uh, Artisifer uh, has an Alchemist subclass. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, uh, which clearly I don't know all about, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I know I technically own it. Uh, <laughs> just haven't really, because <laughs> it's, in, it's in Tasha's, uh, yeah. but it's just kind of there. I figure when someone else plays it, I'll I'll learn more about it. Yeah, they had to have the alchemist one in the, the cauldron book. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so uh, yeah, so so kind of you know, so so those are the kinds of things that we've done, right? So we're we're tracking weight, we're tracking items, uh, you know, we're um, uh, you know, we we've changed the rest system. I have certain things just not allowed, uh, and everything that that you know, like uh, other than the two things that I just 
are, are kind of my standard go-tos. All the other stuff are there, are just allowed in service to um, making this an exploration campaign, right? You know, basically I said, yes. like, I can't let you shortcut it at such early levels, right? No, all of those cuts that you made make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, so, uh, and and all that was discussed at Session Zero as well, right? Like, like uh, I had this discussion, and, and, and I gave the players an opportunity to say, you know, that's that I don't like, that I, I was really hoping I could do this with a character, and I would have this as a spell, maybe, or something, right? You know, uh, but uh, actually, my my players said the same thing that, they, that you just said. All, all that makes a lot of sense for what we're trying to do here. So... Um, and I think a uh, good conversation kind of helps grease that wheel, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing I did is is um, um, I have uh, uh, upgrading magic items. <laughs> so uh, they have this ten. They have this uh, connection uh, with Kiwi. Uh, not all the new players. Some of the new players don't. Uh, but uh, it's not really matters at this point. Um, uh the idea here is 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 i wanted to uh, like i didn't want to necessarily like uh, there's not a huge economy so i'm not giving a lot of treasure right you know um you know they have this goal right you know i'm really making you know the idea of the undead rising is a real problem for everybody right so everybody's concerned so no matter where you are from uh whether you're east of the mountain west of the mountain right you know um, <laughs> from the plains or from you know the deep jungle or along the river um you know uh, it doesn't matter or the great library because there's a great library uh, as, as a destination point um uh this is a problem that needs to be taken care of uh it's affecting everybody no matter where you are um, and so every time they kind of meet a new group of tribe or a new group of people, right, you know, I'm trying to have um, the, the, the adventure of the day kind of thing really kind of uh, lay fealty to, um, to this being the central problem. So we get the idea that there are some underlining unifying threads, right? We have, you know, we have the same deity, we have the same problem, right, you know, and even though... <laughs> You know, like our our forefathers were opposed. Um, we actually have a lot in common here, right? And so, uh, and so, I'm not giving out a lot of treasure. So I have a lot of things, the magic items upgrade, right? You know, um, so are they tied to player level or like an accomplishment? Or I I had one in my campaign where they had to like feed the item treasure for it to upgrade. <laughs> Very good. Uh, if you are playing your character's uh, bonds, flaws, motivations, right, you know, um, and you're at a decent character level, uh, I'm going to consider what your next upgrade is. I, I have one player who, who uh, rides a hippo. as a, She's a paladin, right, you know, and, and her fine, and she has the fine steed, and it's, it's a hippo. And uh, and I'm just like you know what like uh, yeah you're you're it's your hippo and you can dismiss it and recall it and whatever else it's basically like a familiar but uh, it's a riding animal um, and uh, and she wants to ride this thing everywhere everywhere um, so like I'm thinking that, you know what <laughs> I I think she's almost due for uh, mountain combatant right I think that's the name of the feed yep yep. 
right? You know, I think she's almost due for that. And, and, and why is she almost due for that? Well, because she's doing the thing. She's already trying to do the thing. So it makes sense that she would get better at it. And so she should, she should get it. Uh, but also, like, uh, we have a warlock who, uh, uh, who, who has the Pact of the Chain. He's very involved talking to, uh, you know, his, uh, his familiar from, from the Pact, uh, which in, in this case actually is a succubus, uh, and, uh, and sees uh, this familiar as the conduit to his patron. So he doesn't speak directly to his patron, right? He speaks through this familiar conduit. Okay. Right. And uh, and when he does things this patron wants him to do, right, you know, then then he's received a couple of boons because, well, you know, so he's done something that his patron wants to do. So he received a boon. He's done something Kiwi's wanted to do. So he's received a boon from that. So he has a couple of them already. Right. And uh, and I just kind of like. uh, uh, And so, uh, you know, I kind of added to their weapon in on their character sheet, you know, just like. From a mechanical point of view, DMV Beyond allows us to like add things to items, mm-hmm. right? But from narratively, it may or may not actually come from that, and it doesn't really matter, <laughs> right? The idea yeah, here yeah, is, is uh, I'm not throwing a ton of treasure. Uh, the treasure I am throwing a lot of it is consumables, right? You know, um, but uh, uh, for lasting things, I'm making sure that you have very character thematic things that are upgrading naturally from from your ability from your you know so like it doesn't because sometimes it just doesn't make sense like uh, um you know why would i find this amulet here that would give a warlock specifically an extra spell slot why why, why would that exist in the world but because he did something for his patron you know his patron's giving him an extra spell slot with or you could have like a story reason like uh you know a fighter has the sword that their master gave them before they left on the adventures. They don't want to throw that away just because they found a plus two sword that's better. Right? You got better. Why can't it just be plus one and plus two? Because you got better. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. So uh, so I'm kind of taking that. And then uh, uh, I don't make people roll. I don't use standard array. I uh, I make custom arrays for um, for their characters. And so with here, I thought, you know what, I want to really kind of give them some really strong magic items, and they're going to go to a high level already, right? And so I really shorted them on their uh, ability scores to get to start with as level one characters. This is very different. This is very different, right? <laughs> oh, but here's the thing about balance. Here's my theory about balance, right? You know, CR doesn't matter, right? There is no balance between enemies and players. So where do you get actually a misbalance is when players are not balanced with each other. Right. That, that's my theory. We'll prove it. I don't know. I haven't proven it yet, but I'm, I'm trying to here. That's my theory. And so uh, to me, it doesn't matter like if everyone has great, amazing stats or if everyone has low, crappy stats. Uh, if everyone has similar stats, then then we can make a game and it works because we don't have one person dragging everybody down, or we don't have one person, you know, uh, taking care of everything. And then if that person falls, it's automatically a TPK because no one else can do anything. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but this is the first time uh, with this group that I said, you know what? I'm going to give you actually a choice. 
I said, if you want to like, uh, if you have a multi uh, ASI head dependent character, like uh, paladins often need like uh, uh, strength and they need uh, charisma, right? You know, and they still need like constitution and a bunch of other things, right? Um, yeah. So uh, if you need, you know, or if you're thinking multi-classing, we need a bunch of 13s, right? You know, then you can go, you know, you can just take 8, 10, 12, 13, 13, 15. Or if you want to be specialization, uh, right, you know, then you can do 9, 10, 10, 11, 13, and 17. And so this gives you that one that one thing where you are super good at uh, and a lot of things that you're kind of mediocre at, right? This is sounding pretty similar to point Y. It's just you've already sort of optimized it for choices for people. Um, yeah, well, it's actually, if you look, if you compare it to point Y, it is lower than point Y. From a mathematical standpoint, I mean, yeah, but point by is decided by the DM for what how many points you get. So, okay, I guess I was just doing like the point by out of the whichever book it was, DMG, DMG, I think it is, or whatever. Uh, yeah, I forget if it's DMG right. or player's handbook, but yeah, uh, whatever. The one that's actually preloaded into D and D Beyond, right? Right, right. Uh, but I mean, like I have run other campaigns where I have said. Um, you know where, where we were significantly better right um and it was easy to get uh you know it was you know where characters was easy by the time you reached uh you know like if you spent your your fourth level asi on actual asi not on feats right you know um you could easily have a, a 20 and an 18 uh, assuming you put your racials in the right places mm-hmm. yeah, yeah right you know and, and that's a pretty powerful character <laughs> Yeah, but everyone had that option or that ability, right? So, and I found that that worked out just fine too, because again, everyone is kind of at the same level, right? So, the you know the balance is in 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 this game is really comparative to other you know players comparative to the same you know other players in the same game at the same table. Yeah, I think that's been accentuated more with the the bounded accuracy things, where you're kind of always going to be at that point whereas in the um, third and fourth edition and older rule sets it wasn't as noticeable for differences like that yeah fair enough. because there were so many other things that added up besides just your base stats um, and as i said other than like three sessions or two two or three sessions you know like back in grade 10 i'm really only familiar with 5e mm. right so well, uh, we're getting close to the, well, past the time that I allowed for this. I think I've given you a lot. You know, this is going to be a lot on the cutting room floor, I'm sure. <laughs> Why don't you, um, is there anything you feel like you want to talk about that we didn't get to? Um, no, actually, uh, I, I think we definitely had all my high points and more. I think I talked about more than I thought I was going to. Oh, cool. Uh, and the other final question I usually have for people is, if, is there any advice you'd want to give to other DMs? Um, if you're not already DM, do it. Uh, if you are a DM, uh, then, then you probably, you know, you, you trial by error is, is fine. It really is. Uh, it is good to have a framework of what you want to do. Uh, but clearly like there are still parts of this world that I have that I have not fully built out yet. Uh, and the reason why is because I want, I want flexibility. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, is is really the man is mandatory in DMing is, is you need to be flexible, you need to be able to change, um, and uh, and so it's nice to have a framework, um, but uh, you want to 
you want your players to actually interact and affect how things go. Uh, and so, um, you know, having some things yeah. planned and a lot of things not, um, is actually ideal and it's not a, a failing. It's, it's a, it's a positive. It's a, it's a plus. Yeah. Gives you room to expand different things if your players need them or if you want them or. Right. I agree. All right, cool. Well, thanks, Daryl, for coming on the show. Yeah, no, I was happy to be here. Um, and if you like the sound of my voice and you want to hear more of me as a player, I play uh, a cleric, Theo, and I play a uh, uh, a robot. Uh, it's technically a rogue bard, uh, but it's really just a skills bot named TH30 in a ongoing campaign uh called gold and glory uh g-o-l-d and glory uh found on spotify apple itunes and other places podcasts can be found yep and i'll put a, a link to that in the episode notes all right i'll have to make sure i get that to you yeah cool thanks Daryl. all right thank you very much it was great talking <laughs>